This is John Scalzi. You are listening to Alpha Geek Radio. Today we're going to meet a British-born actress whose impressive resume includes work on some of the most iconic fantasy and sci-fi programs on television history, in television history, including appearances on Forever Night, The X-Files, The Outer Limits, and is probably best known as Colonel Samantha Carter in the long-running Stargate franchise. She also played Dr. Helen Magnus in Sanctuary and is also a director, having tackled episodes of Stargate, Sanctuary, and Primeval New World. Presenting Amanda Tapping! Have you been enjoying I'm yourself? I'm so afraid nobody would be here. <laughs> Have you been enjoying yourself at the con so far? No. No? Yeah. Terrible experience. No, it's been totally awesome. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of the best conventions I've ever worked or been to. So. Cool. And I'm well, hoping you're having Well, everyone's been very lovely, so thank you for that. Uh, I have a couple of quick questions. Uh-oh. Yes? First off, your directorial debut on television was the 2004 Stargate SG-1 episode, Resurrection. Um, did you face any challenges moving from being in front of the camera to running the show? And um, were your castmates helpful, or, they, or did they just put you through the works? No, you know what? I was nervous about whether or not they would uh, make fun or be difficult. Not, you know, to be mean, but that they would be difficult just to be funny. And no, they were totally awesome. And Michael wrote the episode, so the two of us spent a lot of time going through what we thought were the important beats. Um, and because it was Stargate and I had been on the show for so long, the crew was awesome. I didn't face the same challenges that I actually face now as a director, interestingly, because it was my show and I knew everyone so well. For me now, going on to shows like Primeval or Arctic Air or Continuum... I have to work a little bit harder off the hop to prove that I know what I'm doing. Whereas with Stargate, everyone was just so, you know, so supportive and family right from the That's go. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's great, because I've heard, I've heard horror stories from other actors who've transitioned to directing on their own shows, and some, no, some I, casts are rather brutal. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, my boys were awesome. They were awesome. <laughs> um... In those rare moments when you're able to just kick back, relax, zone out, what's in your DVD player or Blu-ray player, or do you read, or what do you do? Her, oh, her mic is dead. Hello, hello. Oh, hi. Uh, I love to read, and my daughter, who's just turned eight, loves to read, too. So we spend a lot of time cuddling up reading together. What's in my DVD or like kids' movies? But I just got her into Narnia. Yeah, for years, like she'd like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, because it had, you know, the lion on the front of the first one, and she was too scared. And now it's like her favorite thing, or the Chronicles of Narnia. So that's pretty cool. That's great. Um, you started out working on stage. And you learn your craft there. And it was stated that uh, you were originally not too keen on the idea of working in television. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> um, Dumb. 
Where did you originally want to see your career go before you started doing television? Uh, I wanted to work on Broadway, and I wanted to move back to England and work in, um, you know, in the theater district in, in London, uh, I, which I still want to do. But, I, yeah, I just I thought if I did anything filmic, it would be you know, really, really cool art films. Yeah. I, mean, I was like 20-something kid getting out of university theater school, yeah, I just had very lofty ideals. And I remember we had a guest professor come to, to school in our final year. And he turned to me and he said, oh, you're going to be on TV. And I went, no. I was so offended that he said that. And he said, no, seriously, I think that's where you're going to end up. And I was like, uh-uh, dude, no, no. I'm only going to do theater. Uh, and then uh, I did. I was doing theater and I had a comedy troupe. And then I got an agent. I was like, everyone was getting an agent, so I better get an agent. And I, I got my first audition for, a, I th I've told this story before, for Tim Horton's Donuts, uh, which is a coffee shop in Canada, the chain. Yeah. And that was my very first audition for anything on film or television. And I got it, and I sold oat bran muffins in a 30-second commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got my first paycheck, and I went, what? I can pay my rent. <laughs> so I was hooked. <laughs> I wish that could happen to me. Oh, well. No, it, just, it was a nice for me. I, what I loved about my, what I've loved about my career trajectory, which has not been meteoric, it has been very, you know, satellite going around the earth. But <laughs> it, uh, it's just been. I think I've earned every next step, you know. I did a lot of commercials and then got my first guest star on television and, you know, by doing a couple of lines and or being the reporter at a scene of, you know. So it was like I, every step I really, like, clawed my way. And then, so when I finally got Stargate, I felt like, I'm ready for this. Wow. Well, I didn't think I'd get it, but I thought, I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure our audience has plenty of questions for you. Um, we've already got some lined up over here. So let's go ahead and start with you. Hi. Okay, that microphone's not working. Testing? I can talk really loud. Oh, there we go. Oh, there, oh, there we wow. go. Wow, can you ever? <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk about how Sanctuary for Kids is going. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You're awesome. You're welcome. We set this up, I have to be honest with you. I asked in the autograph line, are you coming to the panel? And she said, yes. And I said, please ask a question. And she said, what would you like me to ask? And I said, ask about Sanctuary for Kids. And you did. You're a rock star. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I was like, we're totally setting up the panel. But uh, it's going very well. Thank you very much. I'm super proud of the initiatives that have been done um, by the fans for Sanctuary for Kids. We never envisioned since we started that we would raise, we've raised over half a million dollars uh, since 2009. Ten? I don't know when we started. Ten? Uh, it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal initiative. And what I love, like, to, yesterday I got uh, an envelope from a woman who, they set up a swear jar in their house. And all the money has gone to Sanctuary for Kids. It's like $150. <laughs> I was like, who was the biggest culprit? And she said, me. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
But I thought, holy cremoli, like that's one little thing. We're in a house of a, a family. They've said, okay, anytime anyone swears, it goes in the jar and the money goes here. So cool. People who have lost weight, people who have stopped drinking, people who have started to run marathons, people who have jumped out of planes, people who have seen how many somersaults they can do down a hill. I mean, the, it's limitless what people have done for us. So I'm super proud. And our charities are thriving. Uh, our kids in Nepal, we have five children going to college this year. Uh, at Nepal Orphans Home, we have a child going to college at Next Generation Nepal, which would never have seemed possible five years ago. Uh, the women that we're rescuing out of India are starting their own little businesses. Um, the kids in Haiti are doing great. And the kids in the downtown east side, these massive initiatives. Downtown east side, Vancouver, is a very impoverished neighborhood. And the kids there that we're helping are just, like, they're getting jobs. They're going back to school. They're getting into housing. They're raising their babies. And they're becoming responsible and productive and happy members of society as opposed to where they started. So it's great. I'm so, so proud of it. And I'm so proud of how much you guys have embraced it. So thank you. Okay, go ahead. First, I'd like to say thank you um, from all the women out there for giving us such strong, beautiful women to look up to finally in the science fiction community. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. And in that same tune, yesterday I told you that you are one of my personal heroes for being such a strong woman in such a male-dominated genre. And I would like to know who is your personal hero and why. Well, I have a few, but I would say the, the person that springs to mind is my grandmother, who passed away at 100, and, she was 103 and a half. She was very proud of the half. Uh, she was an incredible firecracker of a woman. She was born in 1901 in England, and so in her lifetime, she saw the entire world change. She saw the Industrial Revolution happen. She lived through two world wars. She raised three daughters. She immigrated to Canada when she was in her 60s. She just, I mean, she was phenomenal and would not take any guff from anyone. I mean, she was like four foot nothing and talk like this. And, you know, anyone, she just, you wouldn't try it on with her. She was the strongest woman I've ever met. And I think on the flip side of that is my husband's grandmother, who was like this angel who walked the earth. She was this sweet, soft, kind, beautiful woman who just, she was a babushka. She's Hungarian, and she was, you know, five feet tall and five feet wide, and just, you know, the kerchief and the, she made cabbage rolls, and she was, just, but she was so, so sweet. So I look at those two women who, grew up at a time when women didn't have the same options that we have now, and they carved very different paths for themselves, but ended up inspiring so many people. And our daughter, her middle name is B, which is after my grandmother and Alan's grandmother, Billy and Bergie. So she's like, I want her to have the best of these two women, and I hope that I embody that. Um, another one of my personal heroes is one of my dearest friends who passed away three years ago, Cynthia Simone, and she... Uh, she passed away from cancer, and she suffered with this disease for seven years, and I never saw her lose her grace in all the things that she went through, in all of the procedures, in all of the pain and fear. She never, ever was anything less than graceful to everyone that she met. And so uh, 
the, those are the type of people that inspire me. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I'm really nervous because uh, I've been meaning to meet you ever since I met Helen Magnus. So, <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say how amazing it is to see uh, Helen Magnus, your character, as that caring and comforting person, the person who's willing to go off the books to save somebody. But then to see that switch in Supernatural, your character as the angel woman who manipulates Cass into, go into uh, betraying Dean and Sam, how to the book your character is. It was so shocking for me. Um, I just wanted to know, how, uh, like, how did you adjust to that? Well, what was interesting with Supernatural was I got asked to do three episodes initially. I had no idea what the character was about. And, of course, you sign a massive non-disclosure and you, you know, you just, you get your script. And so my first episode, I was in, like, one scene and I was like, who is this woman? I don't know, she's an angel, but is she, I, Wow. And I never knew until I would get the script what my character was going to be doing. No one talked to me about whether she was good or bad. And I remember asking once, and they were like, wait and see. <laughs> so every script I would get, and then I did my three, my contractual three for them, and they kept inviting me back. And every script I would go, oh, they're going to kill me. Oh, they're going to kill me. Oh, they're going to kill me. But I never knew who she was. I never, uh, I was never sure until the end. And so I remember doing um, the scene where I get Misha to kill Dean over and over again, and they pan up, and there's like thousands of Deans dead. And Jensen turned to me, and he said, oh, the fans are so going to hate you for this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, your fans are pretty intense. And he went, yeah, they're going to hate you. <laughs> and it was the first time I'd ever experienced that side where it was like, I'm playing someone truly awful. Oh, my gosh. But I just, what I loved about it was I never knew. So I could just play the pure directive in the script. I didn't, there was no ulterior motive. There was no agenda because I didn't know what it was. So it was pretty cool. Um, and I, I liked being mean. <laughs> I liked that she flipped around at the end, but I, I, I kind of dug being, Ur. it was fun. <laughs> you know, small bursts. <laughs> So working on Supernatural, the guys are known to be kind of mischievous. Did they pull any pranks on you? You know what? They didn't. Misha has this thing where he, he's just so sardonic and he tries to make you laugh when he's not on camera and you are. And it's really subtle, but he just pulls faces or whatever. Or they, the boys always try to make each other laugh. But everyone was pretty nice with me because I was mean. So, no, I never had any pranks pulled. Uh, uh, just Misha being goofy and us getting the giggles. Um, but, and he was the person I worked with the most. And, uh, and Mark Shepard, of course. And the two of us would just look at each other and laugh and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> we know each other, so it was like, oh, geez, here we go. But, yeah, I never, I, I guess my short tenure there wasn't enough to get pranked. We'll see if I, if I died for real or not and whether I get to go back. Just putting it out there. I don't know if you guys have any influence on that thing called the intraweb, but... Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. Um, my question is also about Supernatural. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for coming to Phoenix. 
Um, and my question is, in the end, when Naomi told Castiel that she would let him do anything to save heaven, do you think that she was telling him the truth? Or do you think she was only telling him in the hopes that she would be able to actually save heaven? Oh, I think she was telling him the truth. That's my opinion. I think that she, she was being honest with him. I think that it was the only time that she was truly honest with him, is at the very end. That's my opinion. What do you guys think? Yeah, some people don't watch Supernatural. I don't know. No. Everyone thinks that she has an agenda right up to the end. I don't know. I read it at face value and went, she really means this. She really means just whatever it takes. And I'm, yeah. I thought she was being honest. <laughs> My opinion is the person who plays her, but you guys watch it, so maybe not. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to think she redeemed herself ever so slightly. Go ahead. Okay, big Stargate fan, and I've watched the blooper reel, so I'm curious, <laughs> who's the biggest prank or prankster on the set, and what was the most memorable prank that they pulled? Christopher Judge. Because there's a physicality to Christopher that is hard to ignore. And he, you know, I mean, he duct taped people to chairs. He, <laughs> me being one of them. And then he sent the career to, to lunch, you know, lunch. And everyone's like, and I'm stuck to the chair in the briefing room. But he did that with all of us at one point or another. Um, I mean, Rick is just, Rick just makes you laugh. He'll just do stuff off camera to make you laugh. But Christopher is like the physical prankster. And the way that um, Christopher, and forgive me for some of you have heard this story before, but the way Christopher got his comeuppance is he has terrible gas. I mean, the man can clear a room. And often did. And it used to make crew members physically gag. And so at one point, he was in a full NASA spacesuit, sealed in. Yeah. And... He just the most it was fantastic for all of us because we all just sit there and went <laughs> and you just saw you heard the rumble and then you saw him just kind of <laughs> and he was sealed into his spacesuit with his own stink and it was fantastic and we all just sit there and went that's karma baby that's karma uh, and then to that end there was another time where he was strapped down to a bed in the operating room and did the same thing. And we all just walked off set and left him there. <laughs> As you do. So, uh, but Christopher was the most physical of all of the, uh, of the cast in terms of pranking. Uh, Rick was just sarcastic. And Michael and I, Michael and I were probably the most gentle. Ish. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hi. <laughs> hey, guy. Makes it easier. Um, first, as a combat vet, it was nice to see shows like uh, Stargate and even uh, in certain aspects, especially toward the end, uh, Sanctuary, where there are um, subtexts with a lot of the political decisions that interfere with, you know, sometimes doing the right thing means not doing the right thing. Right. Um, so, and you see that a lot in, you know, especially modern-day military um, and so I really appreciate seeing shows like that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for serving. Um, we all owe you a huge debt. Yes. Thanks. Um, my question is, is, you know, especially when seeing, you know, Samantha Carter and Helen Magnus, 
What's your natural accent? <laughs> this. Okay. Well, I'm talking right now. No. Uh, I guess Canadian. <laughs> no. When I started Stargate, I, uh, I used to get sent to ADR looping, where they would make me redo my lines because they sounded either too British or too Canadian. Like I would say process instead of process, and, and I would get phonetic spellings on... <laughs> how to pronounce things, American. I was like, really? <laughs> and then it was so easy to slip into Magnus because I am, I'm from England originally, and I go back every year, and I grew up in a very British household. So, But my natural accent is this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Okay, go ahead. Hi. Um, like many of us here, I think that sanctuary ended way too soon. Here, here. If you had a two hours or maybe half a season, how do you actually see it ending, a proper ending? How, what would you do? What's that? If you could, yeah, if you could do a proper ending and wrap it up, what do you see happening? Oh, my gosh. I just never wanted to think of Sanctuary ending, so I've never thought of that question. I mean, when we, when we sort of did the reboot at the end of the fourth season where – we went to the new sanctuary. I just saw that as a whole fresh start. So I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah. I, I mean, it just seemed like a whole new beginning. I would like to, I, like, I really wanted to hang out with Tesla more. And I, yeah, it's just so fun. And I wanted some proper resolution to Helen and John. And I wanted, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, what she said. Uh, but I do, yeah, I, oh, wow, I'm stumped. I don't know. You did say you would ask a good question, and you stumped me. <laughs> How I would like to see it end is that it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were so many things unresolved. I wanted, you know, I wanted to know that if Helen had spent all that time back, spent, you know, had relived those, all those years, would she have found a way to bring Ashley back? And what could that have meant in the fifth season? And all those things would have been so cool to explore. You know what? I've never thought. I write really good speeches. I do. I'm asked to speak a lot, and I give keynote speeches at luncheons and stuff. And I'm really good at the good. I give great eulogies, and I do. I know it's sad to say, but I really do. And I give good speeches, but I've never thought of writing a book. Okay. I think you've got a following. There's so much emphasis, too, on um, uh, when a, ending a series. Yeah. That, uh, you know, when a show comes to it, uh, the last season, whether they're getting canceled or they're coming to a nat- they want to come to a natural conclusion of wrapping everything up, um, I, would, I would think that it would be more exciting to leave a taste of something... Just to keep the... Absolutely. The, what's yeah. the potential beyond this? Yeah. So. You don't want to blow up the sun. You want to keep it... Which I've done, so I know. <laughs> of course, I keep thinking back to the last episode of Star Trek too, the turnabout, a tr- turnabout intruder, and that was a really horrible note to end any show on. Yeah, <laughs> you know? true indeed. So, okay, go ahead. All right. Um, what was your favorite blooper that you were actually there for? My favorite Blooper. blooper. 
Well, in Stargate, honestly, and it sounds very self-serving, but getting Rick in the iceberg or in the ice cave with the MacGyver line was priceless. Because he so totally didn't expect it. And uh, Martin Wood directed that episode. I feel like I'm neglecting you guys over here. Hi. Uh, Martin Wood directed, and, and we were actually shooting in a stage that had been refrigerated. So it was like minus two degrees. And he said, if you, you know, the crew's cold, and if you have a chance to have any fun, go for it. And I was like, season one? Okay. And I thought, I, I don't know what, what, what to do. But then this moment, I just had this like epiphany moment when Rick was clawing his way up and his leg is hurt and it's just, uh, he's getting up towards where the dial home device is embedded in the ice and I'm watching him and I just, I got the giggles in my head. (laughs) And then out came what came out. And I just remember like, I can't remember the first thing I said was, uh, you can't dig us out, you used to be... You got a belt buckle of shoelace and a piece of gum, build us a nuclear reactor. <laughs> and my line, I can't even remember what my real line was supposed to be, but I turned to him and I said, you can't dig us out. And he went, gave me this look, and then I kept going, and then I got bolder and bolder, and I was feeling really good. And then I ended on McUseless, and I was like, I might have gone too far. Season one, they could kill me in this episode. Sorry, Carter never made it back from the ice cave. Uh, but he, he, he was priceless because he just, I finished. And I, you used to be MacGyver, McGadget. Now you're Mr. McUseless. And he went. And he didn't smile. He just sort of. Hmm. And, I, and that, that was my oh crap moment. And I'm looking in his eyes, and I'm sort of, like, smiling, and and he's like. (laughs) And then he turned away, and then he started to laugh, and I was like. (laughs) So I went up to him in the lunch line afterwards, as you do, and I was like, hey, Rick. (laughs) So we're good, right? (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, we're good. And he's like, I'll get you, though. (laughs) Fair enough. But yeah, that moment of, I am so funny. Oh, I'm so fired. (laughs) My favorite. Good afternoon. First of all, I want to thank you for being here, Amanda. Thank you. We got um, um, tons of fans here at Phoenix Comic Con. We love you. We think you're great. Um, uh, One quick question. Um, Over the development of um, Stargate, um, what was it like, first of all, going through the wormhole and your favorite episode? Going through the wormhole was painful at first, and it caused nausea. (laughs) But once I became accustomed to it, uh, it was actually quite pleasant. Um, You don't even really notice yourself dematerializing. uh, But at first, it made me quite sick. So uh, I don't know what the long-term effects are. Uh, I've developed some interesting superpowers, and... um, and yet my eyesight isn't as good as it used to be, and I'm not sure whether that's because of gate travel. So I'm not sure who, who to blame for that, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's good now. I'm good. Uh, I have to say, though, the interesting thing about... Oh, and I forgot the second part of your question already. Oh, favorite episode. Favorite episode, sorry. <laughs> I really loved Heroes 1 and 2 just because of the, the, 
the broadness of the story and how emotional it was for all of us. And maybe it's the memory of filming it where we were all so tight and so... But I don't know that I could... Uh, I loved Grace because it was a different Carter. I, I actually looked back and I loved the episodes with Pete because he was so cute. And he was such a nice guy. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, any episode where Richard Dean Anderson happened to kiss me was pretty good too. <laughs> Seriously, the man, he's got game. (laughs) Uh, But I have to say about gate travel, uh, the way that we used to shoot Stargate and how long it took to set up the vis effect of the gate travel, like the green screens and the mylars to make the ripple effect, and uh, we would shoot on 35 mil film, and so it was was like a 45-minute setup every time we went through the gate. And by the time we finished the series, we just walked through. And everything was laid in after the fact. We were now digital. It was so easy. So not dissimilar to, you know, getting nauseous at first and then actually quite enjoying the experience was similar to our VisEffect growth over the course. Uh, Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly I was like, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. (laughs) Technology has made it easier. Go ahead. Okay. I've got to ask. How did it feel to blow up a sun? How did I blow up a sun? How did it feel blowing up a sun? Very powerful. (laughs) Very powerful and a little scary. Because there's that moment where you go, ooh, I wonder if I've destroyed anybody in doing so. I love the lines that they gave Carter. You know, you blow up one sun and people expect you to walk on water, stuff like that. I just loved the fact that she was so smart and was actually capable of blowing up a sun. It's not many people can say that. Just saying. Um, first off, I, I have to thank you on behalf of a friend. Yeah, he loved your character, and uh, Samantha Carter drove him to become uh, an officer in the Air Force. Oh, wow. Uh, in astrophysics, and he's about a semester away from doing exactly that. Holy moly, so, that is so cool. Um, wow. So I have to ask you, with all the techno babble that uh, Samantha Carter did, did you ever decide to do any research so that I'm going to know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh. That's uh, Yes. <laughs> I did tons of research. I, I, would, I would take those massive techno-babble speeches and I would break them down into layman's terms so that I could explain it to anybody. And I would, so I would know exactly what I was talking about. And then when I said the techno-babble, I fully understood what it was that I was saying, even though nobody else did. I did. And I took it really seriously. And I, I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I, I, I would read the scripts and there was one time I was on... I was in my trailer, and I was going through the script, and I went, and there was an equation in there. And it was, you know, if we do this, then hundreds of thousands of people could die. And I I looked at it, and I said, that doesn't seem quite right. (laughs) So I started writing out, and I went, okay, X over R equals, and the planet just managed, and divided by pi? Anyway, I went in through this immense mathematical equation and realized that the writers were wrong. (laughs) And I was so proud of myself. I was so stoked that I ran up to Brad Wright's office. And I went, Brad, Brad, I just got to, I got to, this line here. 
it uh, doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> and he went, oh, okay. And I said, you see, if, and I started to explain this equation to him that I had come up with in my own head. You know, and so R is the, the ratio of the turning of the planet. This is the gravitational pull. And these are the population pockets. And this means this and blah, 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 blah. And he looked at me and he said, so um, just change the line. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I walked out of his office so deflated because I'd gone in there like, I know what I'm talking, I could practically be an astrophysicist. <laughs> and so I was still so proud. I went to my friend Jack who did our craft service and, um, and our first aid. And he came and sat in my trailer, and I said, Jack, I got to, let me explain this to you, because this is pretty cool. And I go through the whole mathematical equation. I'm super stoked. <laughs> I'm like, so I, you know, changed the line, because. And he sat there, and he went, blink, blink, blink. <laughs> I'm pretty. <laughs> and I was like, whatever, okay. It was great. I, I took it very, perhaps more seriously than I should, but I took it very seriously. I did know what I was talking about. Could I blow up a sun now? No. But that's just because of the long-term effects of gate travel. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hi. Um, my question is, with being a producer, a director, and an actress, do you ever find it hard balancing that with being a mother? You know, I've been incredibly lucky in that I, I have an amazing husband, and we've been together for over 20 years, and we, he gets it. Yeah, he's really cool. Um, I've always said that if I ever felt like my daughter was compromised in any way or... Uh, or that I, it seemed like I wasn't doing my job, then I would just quit work and be with her because I chose to have a child and I want to raise that child. And I was so lucky that I could take Olivia to set with me for the first 18 months of her life. She, she, I, we spent 24-7 together. She came to Stargate every day. And, you know, I'd fire my P90 and then go into my trailer and breastfeed. <laughs> it was pretty, it was a good balance. Um, but it's just a matter of making sure that the time that you do have is really focused and engaged. And I uh, endeavor every night to be home for bedtime, and that's a big ritual for Olivia and I. And we read our story, and we snuggle up, and we do this little dream train. And it's just, you just have to find, you have to make sure that the moments that you're there are focused and concentrated and, and that you're present. So work is work, and home is home, and you try not to cross-pollinize them too much. So I have been very lucky in that I have balance. But I also have a great partner to help me. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so um, my question is, because I know you direct a lot, uh, what would you want to direct if you could direct anything on TV? Like at all. Ooh. Anything? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do something like I'd love to direct Game of Thrones. I'd love to have that kind of yeah, but that kind of huge platform to play on. Um and I think eventually I will put myself out there. I mean, I need a lot more experience, but I just finished directing an episode of Continuum. And yeah, it is an awesome show. 
And I'm even a bigger fan now that I've worked on it. It's just the people are incredible. But I just, uh, again, with my directing career, it's sort of, it's been a slow, you know, I've had to really work at it and try really hard to get jobs. And Primeval was a huge help getting three episodes of that and this show called Arctic Air and, and now Continuum. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, I get trusted with bigger and bigger things. But something like Game of Thrones would be Yeah, I know, right? Momoa. Okay, go, Yan. Hi, I'm Cheyenne. And, Hi. Uh, I just want to first off thank you for being such an amazing and fierce woman on television and in real life. And I want to know, what were the biggest differences between acting with the cast on SG-1 and acting with the cast on Stargate Atlantis? Wow. Um, the cast of SG-1, we became family instantly. Um, you know, we were brothers and sisters, and, and it happened very quickly. And we've been friends ever since. And it's, we grew up together in a lot of ways, and so there's that history. So to go to Atlantis was, I mean, I knew David, I knew Jewel, um, and I knew the whole cast. I knew Joe, I knew everyone. But I, I always felt like when I went to Atlantis that I was in somebody else's house. You know, I was, like, staying with my aunt and uncle instead of at my own, you know, I wasn't sleeping in my own bed. And you know what I mean? It just I'd had that sort of feeling of I'm visiting. And they're phenomenal. The cast was very welcoming, and they were great. But I just, I, it just wasn't home in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. But, uh, and plus, the cast of SG-1, we had such a shorthand with each other after all those years together. And we just, sometimes we didn't even have to say anything. It would just be a look, and we'd know exactly what the other person was thinking. And Atlantis had their own groove going, and I sort of came into it, so I wasn't, it took me a while to get into the groove with them. And not because they're not fantastic people, but just because they'd already established their rhythms. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hello. Hello, little one. My name is Samira, and I wanted to know what it was like working with Tilt. Well, he's pretty cool. He's a, he's a big, imposing, physically massive wall of humanity. And one of the gentlest, sweetest, like, could cry at the drop of a hat. We'd talk about things, and he would, he, Chris would cry, and, and he meant it. And he, when he laughed, like, three blocks away, you could hear him laughing. He lives very fully, this man. And, uh, you know, no matter what he's feeling, it's pure and it's raw and it's huge. And, um, and yet he's such a teddy bear. He gives awesome hugs, too. Like, there are times where you just sort of seek him out for a hug. Chris. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty cool. If you like that sort of thing. You know. <laughs> Big, cool, and sweet. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Love, 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 love you. Okay. Um, I am a gaveteer. I was at AT6 last year. There's several in the audience. There's a couple listening on the live feed. Um, I was just wondering, at AT6, you gave us a little teaser that said that not to close the book completely on Sanctuary. I'm still saying don't close the door completely on Sanctuary. Awesome. Okay, that was my question. I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, Sanctuary is a very complicated beast because we are privately financed. And our IP is owned by a company that that kind of bought us out in order to make the show. And so every year we had to convince these private financers to pay (laughs) 
a lot of money to continue making a television show, and it's not their primary business. So um, we are trying, we're trying to pursue other avenues with them and just fingers crossed that they come around to it. Even if they just, you know, loan us the IP and they don't have to put any money in, we can... Well, tell them to ask the fans because I'm sure we'll all be uh, yeah. very into it. Cool. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Hi. We've been watching you for years, and just to say, you still look amazing. Wow, thank you. My son is in love with you. He's 24 and thinks you're gorgeous, so... Wow, thank yeah. you. I just but, have one big question for you. Let's say Sanctuary is dead. Naomi is dead. What's next for you? <laughs> no, no, no. We're not ready to let go of you yet. Um, I actually have a series that I'm um, trying to get off the ground uh, that may be a couple of years away from fruition. Um, and I'm still acting. I mean, I'm, I've got a movie coming up that I'm going to start shooting when I get home and uh, more directing coming up. I'm doing more episodes of Arctic Air and hopefully if Continuum comes back, they'll ask me back to do more of them. Um, I actually threw my hat in the ring to direct Supernatural, so that would be fun. I don't know. No, no, I mean, I, I just, you know, I put in my resume in a couple of episodes and went, uh, I haven't heard from them, so who knows. But um, I don't, you know, it's been, I have to be honest with you, I went through a, like a crisis of confidence when Sanctuary finished for a lot of different reasons. It was like the first time I had stopped being in perpetual motion for 15 years. And it was the first time I wasn't going to be on a t TV series in September. It was the first time I wasn't going to go to the upfronts in New York. It was the first time I wasn't going to go to Comic-Con in July. And I was freaked out because I had been doing it for 15 years. And I sort of said to myself, well, who is Amanda Tapping if she's not that girl that's on that TV show? <laughs> you know, it was a real, who am I? How do I establish this? What's this new phase for me? And I'm still navigating those waters. And it's actually been really phenomenal because I, I haven't stopped working. Uh, but it's always, it's very mixed. I'm always doing different things. So uh, it's exciting, but it's a little scary too. So if you say, what's next? I'm like, and hopefully something really cool. I've been very fortunate. Um, but I do know that I have a couple, of, a couple of gigs coming up. And we'll see. Fingers crossed. Just looking for another sci-fi show that begins with the letter S, basically. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Hi. Okay. This is another question about Supernatural and Naomi, who's actually one of my favorite characters. Yes. And I'd love to see her come back and be Queen of Heaven. That's... Wouldn't I'd that be nice? That. I'd love for that to happen. Yeah. Um, anyway. Or in very least, be the barista at the Heaven Coffee Shop. Right. You know? That'd be cool, too. <laughs> um, but based on the last episode, it sounds like she's been kind of playing the heavenly corrector role for a while and even working with the archangels. So I was wondering if you knew or if the writers ever told you what rank she actually is in Heaven or how high up in the hierarchy she is. They never told me anything. <laughs> I, honest to God, it was kind of brilliant the way that Supernatural works. It's brilliant because you come on and you have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, I remember asking at one point, I asked Robert Singer, I was like, so what up? What is she? And he's like, just wait and see. I'm like, well, is she, I don't, you know, how do I, I don't know what the path for this character is. So I don't know, you know, where I'm trying to find a focus on how to play her. And he's like, just play her. Okay, which is very liberating as an actor who had been on long-running television series to sort of go, 
this is where I want to see the character end at the end of this season. I hadn't got a clue. And the writers don't tell you anything. Literally, when you get the script, it's like, oh, what, what does that mean there's a drill in the back of her head? Is that, that, oh, oh. Yeah. So I have no idea what her rank was, is, or could be. Because they don't know either, probably. <laughs> yeah, they haven't figured that out. We have another nice little young lady here. Hi, sweetheart. Hello. Um, personally, my favorite role of yours was in SG-1. And I was wondering, um, that aside, what, what you want to be remembered for in, in the future. Sanctuary for kids. That. Thank you very much. Okay, go ahead. Hi, I'm Dan. Hi. Uh, first, I want to say thanks for a decade of really positive programming. And like the lady said before, that you're a good female strong lead. I want to say that you're a good lead for anybody. When I talked to you in the uh, autograph booth earlier today, uh, being a law enforcement veteran and a first responder, um, sometimes it gets negative, you know, commentary in the news and stuff like that. And the way you represented that was, I appreciate it, just like military and first responders, because we're the guys we throw on the gear. You know, we go through the wormhole every day. You never know if you're coming home. And I yep. want to thank you for representing that. That being said, how much did you enjoy working with P90s, the tactics, defensive tactics, and stuff like that when you're on the set? I got to be honest with you. I I am not pro guns, and I uh, I when I very first. We had our very first firing range lesson uh, with MP5s at the time is what we were using in the first season. And the guys were all like afterwards, yeah, smoking cigars. And, blah, blah. and I like went off into the woods and threw up. And, but then I developed a real zen with the weapon. Um, and the more I got to know people in the military and the more advisors came on board and then the more, you know, we went on a USO tour shortly after 9-11 and I talked to people in the military and I just realized it's, I, I found a real simpatico with it. And so when I left the Stargate franchise and went to Sanctuary and I was walking down the set in my pencil skirt and stilettos, I was like, if I had a P90 right now, I would feel really good. I missed it. I loved, we had a great armorer, and so we had sequences where we would be running and firing and reloading, and we practiced that, and it, there was a great sense of accomplishment to getting all of that right. Um, not only because we were representing the military, and it wasn't like we were making up a branch of the military, we were representing the Air Force, and it was, there, there was a lot of protocol to be followed. Um, and also representing the men and women that we had met, uh, you know, in bases around the world. It was like, there's this great sense of accomplishment, but a great sense of responsibility. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, okay, you on. made it. Yes, yes, I did. Um, three quick things before my question. Um, number one, Kickstarter for Sanctuary. <laughs> number two... Samantha Carter was my role model all through high school. That was who I wanted to be, hands wow. down. So thank you for that. And number three, I love Sanctuary enough that I'm naming all of my pets after characters from the show. <laughs> <laughs> and Tesla's my favorite cat. So um, question two-parter. Uh, out of all of the non-starring roles, Stargate, Sanctuary aside, what was your favorite show to work on and what was the overall most fun show to work on? 
Ooh. I did a movie recently, well, not recently, about a year ago called Random Acts of Romance. And I, it was very liberating because it, it was during that time that I found out that Sanctuary was not being brought back. And I was devastated. But I was filming this crazy comedy where I played a very loopy woman who was losing her own mind. And um, I, for me to be able to, to just sort of embrace that and not be afraid. And there's one scene, uh, one particular scene that if you've ever seen the movie, you'll know what scene I'm talking about. But I was oh, not here. Okay, well, w wait for it. <laughs> There's one scene where I was like, I just, it was the, for me, it was so liberating. I just let myself go. I didn't care what people thought, and I had a blast. Um, so those, it's more the experience than the set. The set was awesome. The cast was amazing. Um, and the director is a woman, Katrin Bowen, who ironically was my stand-in on Stargate in the first season and sometimes photo-doubled me. So to... Flash forward 16 years later, and she's directing me in a movie. It was like, yeah, the sisterhood. Um, Supernatural is a great, great, great atmosphere. Very welcoming, very easy to walk onto that set, and I'm grateful for that. Because it's scary when you've been on your own show, and then you go to somebody else's, and it's like... And they, they couldn't have been nicer. Um, so I would say, in my limited experience since finishing, uh, Supernatural was such an embracing set. Um, you know what, honestly, I haven't had a bad experience. I really haven't. I have fun wherever I go. And I think I'm very lucky that I've been put in the path of really great people and um, people who have the same sense of humor and the same joy about what they do and the same passion without the angst that I try to live by. Um, so, I've, yeah, I've been it's hard to say my favorite because I've been really, really lucky. The most fun, though. Most fun? Yes, overall. In, not including SG-1 and Sanctuary? Not including them. Hmm. <laughs> it's really hard. Random acts of romance. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> Space Milkshake! Oh my god, I forgot I did that movie! Oh, wow, yeah, Space Milkshake. That was awesome. <laughs> we laughed our heads off because it was so goofy. And Billy Boyd is like one of the funniest human beings walking the planet. And Robin Dunn, of course, who's like, I love him. And, and Kristen Kruick, who is, could not have been sweeter and has a wicked, wicked sense of humor. And we, I laughed so hard. I mean, we were in Regina, which is in the middle of uh, Canada in November, it's the prairies, so it's windy and cold, and I've never felt so warm. It was so much fun. And again, I say Billy Boyd, because he just, every single day, he just, and he never broke. No matter what you said or what you were doing on set, he always kept his straight face, but he'd like zing you. And I, I, I'm terrible. I cry and laugh at the drop of a hat. He was, yeah. So, so I forgot about that. I did this movie called Spice Milkshake, and I had fun. <laughs> uh, we're actually thinking of doing a direct marketing with it um, Robin's more involved with that aspect of it than I am but just like directly putting it onto iTunes or sites like that 
and selling it directly as opposed to getting through all, yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. Okay. Go ahead, sir. Hi. As co-host of Gatecast, I spent the past four years and eight and a half seasons watching your character, Samantha Carter, develop, and we've come to up with a theory that we call the romantic curse of Samantha Carter. Prior to Pete... I know not what you speak of. <laughs> anyone who fell for Sam Carter seemed to die. So did you actually petition for someone who didn't? Or yes. Or was that the producers? I, I went to the producers and said, this is ridiculous. Could, could I please have a boyfriend who actually lives? <laughs> who I am not directly involved in killing or who by slum, you know sad mistake of mine dies could we please just have a guy who doesn't please because I was getting embarrassed and so along came Pete and he didn't die I just I, I ripped his heart out of his chest and <laughs> threw it against a tree but he didn't die so yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> okay go ahead Oh, oh my gosh, that's loud. Um, being that you're, um, the British have a very quirky sense of humor, um, do you find that you often shoot yourself in the foot by upsetting cast members or people on the set by um, your unusual <laughs> sense of humor? I, my parents are British, so I have a tendency to um, really upset people by do you really? laughing at things that maybe aren't so funny. So. Sometimes I say I things that I think are hilarious, <laughs> yeah, and too. people go, what? <laughs> what do you mean by that? But for the most part, people uh, get my sense of humor. But I work with people, you know, like Richard Dean Anderson and Chris Judge and Michael Shanks, and then, you know, with Robin Dunn and Ryro and Chris Hyredall, and it's like, yeah, they get it. I've never, yeah. Every once in a while, there's a head-scratching moment, but for the most part, yeah. <laughs> Thank for you. the most part, they get it. <laughs> or at least they pretend to get it. Yeah. <laughs> what did she say? I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, Amanda, you have a really cute family. I've been curious. How did you meet your husband? Wow. A personal, hey? <laughs> uh, he was introduced to me by a friend of mine. Uh, uh, he's, uh, and she, she used to date him in high school, as it happened. <laughs> And uh, no, no, it's all good. It's all cool. We just hung out last weekend together. Everything's good. Um, but I, uh, she was going up to her boyfriend's cottage, and she said, "Why don't you come up for the weekend? You need to get out of town." And I said, oh, "I got to work late Friday, and I don't have wheels, so I, you know, no, have a great time." And she said, "Well, you know what? Alan's working late Friday, and he's going up, so why don't I just ask if he'll give you a ride?" And I was like, "Sweet." So I knew Alan. We'd met. We'd hung out together. Um, and he picked me up at what they call the Kiss and Ride, which is like part of the subway system in Toronto. And so you drop, there's a little roundabout where you drop off your spouse and they go to the subway. So he picked me up at the Kiss and Ride. And it was a five-hour drive to this cottage. And it was the first time he and I had ever spent any time alone together. And a halfway up, we stopped at a Tim Hortons. <laughs> so Canadian. Our story is so Canadian. I remember I was washing my hands in the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I went, wow, I think I just fell in love with this guy. And he had the same, he said the same thing had happened to him. So, yeah, right? And that was 20-something years ago. 20-something. <laughs> so we met, we met through a mutual friend who's still a very, very dear friend of ours. Yeah. My dude. He's a very nice, normal guy. <laughs> 
That's I get all nervous when I talk about my personal life. I'm okay, go ahead. First off, I love you and all your different movies, but um, I, I heard Chris got like burned by pyrotechnics and it messed up um, one of the things. Did you ever get any that close that you got hurt by any chance on any Stargate? And also, I'm really hoping for a Kickstarter. Are there any like movies for Stargate happening or in the works? Because I really, really want more movies. Well, we... It, there was a point where Brad Wright had written a movie that sort of, in my, from what I understand, brought the three shows together and was like uh, the sort of final gift to the fans of the culmination of these three shows. And it looked at one point like it was going to go, and then MGM had financial troubles again. And I, So I, I honestly don't know what happened with it. And I don't know that... Um, I don't know if the ship has sailed, like whether it's too late. It would be really cool, I think, to get together before we have to go through the Stargate using walkers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, oh, your first question, pyrotechnics. Yes. On the set of Stargate, uh, I got blowed up. Um, <laughs> it was season one, and we had a shot running through the woods where uh, I think there was three of us, and I was the third person. And um, as soon as we, you know, so there's this, we run through this path, and as soon as the third person goes, our special effects guys set off a, a mortar. Uh, not a real one, obviously, obviously, but a little explosion that threw up all this dirt and sparks. And, and so they knew the count. It was one, one person, second person, third person, boom. Well, what they were not told was that we were also doing it with a steady cam which is a guy with a camera strapped to him, running backwards, leading us. And so he saw one person, which was the steady cam guy, two, three, and just as I hit the mark. So it was like, oh, my God. And he felt terrible. And I just remember that my, my makeup melted a little bit, and I had to, because I had all these little red spots, or little dots, but it, it seriously was not bad. It could have been way worse. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember the director, Mario Azapardi, who directed our pilot, came up to me and said, Why are you so stupid, Amanda? You could this is your face. <laughs> you can't, what is, what is, without your face, what, this is your career, your face. How come you do this? And I was like, like, I set off the bomb. Are you kidding me? <laughs> he got really mad at me, and I think it's because he felt guilty and he didn't know how to express that. Like, I, I don't think he was capable of saying, I'm sorry, this happened. So instead he was like, you idiot. <laughs> so I'm, I, I, you know, remember it more for how this director reacted than to the actually getting blown up. But it was kind of scary and it was a big lesson. And the special effects guys, God bless them, were so upset. Like I was going around hugging them, saying, it's okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And a couple of times where uh, the shell casings, when we were doing really long firing rounds, um, especially with the P90s because the shells ejected straight down. So I remember once doing this scene and the cameras were rolling and I came out from behind a tree and I was on one knee and I started firing and the shell casings were hitting my leg because it was right there. And of course I'm on camera so I'm like, oh, ah, ah. And afterwards, I had all these welts on my leg, and I was like, lesson learned. Put the other knee up, but not the one that's right underneath the gun. So, yeah. Trial by fire, really. 
Yeah. Anyway, okay, we've got sorry. two minutes, so we got one more quick. Can you give us a quick question? Two, yeah, let the other little one, too. Okay, hi. Hi. Um, I just want to say, first of all, SG-1, favorite overall sci-fi, and Samantha Carter was my favorite because she brought a technical side to the adventure, in a way. So, my question is, Atlantis and SG-1 were so adventurous and more of the whole action more than the drama, right. which was what Universe brought into it. So how do you feel compared to having worked on Atlantis and SG-1? How do you feel about Universe? I thought it was you know, very brave. And I think that what they were trying to do was reinvent the wheel in a way that the SG-1 was so sort of iconic in its sense of humor and its uh, it had a huge heart, but it also didn't take itself super seriously. And Atlantis kind of had the same vibe. And so I thought the third episode or the third series in a franchise, you've got to have to try to shake things up. And I thought they did it really well. I don't think that people embraced it as much as I, I thought that they would. But I thought it was really brave to actually take this known franchise and kind of turn it on its ear. And I thought, it, you know, Brad Wright is a really brilliant man and, and, uh, and a great writer. And I think that he was sort of just as shocked by the ending of Universe. As it, he was like, what? People don't like it? What? But it's... Uh, not that they didn't like it. I mean, a lot of people loved it. But, yeah, it was just... I, I, it was very different. And the way this style they shot it in was totally different. All handheld, kind of shaky. Remember the camera guys who had used to, the, you know, Stargate SG-1 in Atlantis who had moved over were like, oh... The show is killing us. But I thought it was really brave to do it that way. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to thank you. We've got one little one. Can we do one? Okay. Well, one little one. How was the Stargate built? Pardon me? How was the Stargate built? How was the Stargate built? Yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sugar and spice and everything nice. There we go. No, uh, it, was, it was built by the ancients, right? So I, I don't know because I, I wasn't there. But uh, oh, that's such a that's such a sweet question, and I feel like I need to do it more justice than I'm doing it right now. Um, anyone? <laughs> Come on, somebody. How is it built? Phase inducers and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean. If you're Orlin, you build it using my microwave oven, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> how the prop was built or how the real Stargate was built? The prop? The real Stargate. Oh. Oh, the real Stargate. And Stargate SG-1. Oh, uh, well, I, that's classified information, son. Yeah, I'm sorry. We'd have to go through debriefing after that if we had to tell if we told you. So. That's a whole military procedure to get that information, sweetheart. Exactly. But thank you very much for your question. It was awesome. And it was awesome having you here, Amanda. Oh. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. No, 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 no. Thank you very much. Thank you, Comic Con. Hello, I'm Randall Milholm from somethingpositive.net, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio because you're overcompensating.